grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Stewardship Sunday is found recorded in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, beginning at the third verse. Notice the extent of Ruth's love, which clearly came by her Lord. It is a gift. But Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, so she was left with her two sons. They then married Moabite wives. The name of the first was Orpah and the name of the second was Ruth. They lived there for about 10 years. But Naomi's sons, Malan and Kilian, also died. So the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. Then Naomi set out with her daughter-in-law, daughters-in-law, to return from the territory of Moab. Because while she was in the territory of Moab, she had heard that the Lord had graciously visited his people by providing them with food. So she left the place where she had been, and her daughters-in-law left with her. They set out on the road to return to the land of Judah, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, both of you, return to your mother's house. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you find security in the house of a husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept loudly. But they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. Then Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Am I going to give birth to any more sons who could become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go. For I am too old to be married to another husband. Suppose I say, I have hope and I will be married to another husband tonight. And I will even give birth to sons. Would you wait for them until they grow up? On the basis of that hope, would you give up the chance to marry another husband? No, my daughters. It is much more bitter for me than for you. Because of the hand of the Lord has reached out against me. They once again wept loudly. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth would not let her go. Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law has returned to her people and to her gods. Go back. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to abandon you or to turn back from following you. Because wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you make your home, I will make my home. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Whenever you die, wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely, and double it if anything but death separates me from you. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament lesson is found recorded in St. Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, beginning at the 6th verse. 
But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we could certainly cannot take anything out. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be satisfied. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge them into complete destruction and utter ruin. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. By striving for money, some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. But you, O man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who made a good confession as a witness before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this command without spot and without fault until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will make known at the proper time, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or is able to see. To him be honor and power forever. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but rather in God, who richly supplies us with all things for our enjoyment. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they are storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, beginning at the 25th verse. Just then, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. What do you read there? He replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. It just so happened that a priest was going down that way. But when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite also happened to go there, but when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, he felt sorry for the man. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own animal, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day when he left, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. Whatever extra you spend, I will repay you when I return. 
Which of these three do you think acted like a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he replied. Then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10 beginning at the 25th verse. It is the parable of the Good Samaritan and I open with these words from our text. Which of these three do you think acted like a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he replied. Then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ and heirs of everlasting life, would you say that it is Christian giving to put an offering in a collection plate uh, to be used for promoting the ministry of God and, and furthering the holy name of Christ and to certainly pay the bills that the church has? Would you call that Christian giving? I bet most of us, if not all of us, would say, well, yeah, that would be Christian giving, and I would agree. Would you consider it Christian giving to provide for your family and take care of your family and make sure that their needs are being taken care of? Would you consider that Christian giving? Or is Christian giving only when you give to church? Well, we know St. Paul writing to Timothy did make the very powerful statement that you're worse than an unbeliever if you do not provide for your family. So Christian giving is giving to your family. Would you consider it to be Christian giving to help the poor? That probably is more obvious because Jesus himself demonstrated over and over of giving to the poor and, and, and being concerned about the poor. But would you consider it Christian giving to pay your taxes and to be honest and fair when it comes to your taxes? Does that sound like that could be pushing it a little bit when it comes to Christian giving? Again, is it Christian giving? We certainly hear the words of Jesus who says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Jesus himself paid the taxes. Even St. Paul in his letter to the Romans makes it very clear. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So what is Christian giving? So often, the term Christian giving always comes with the emphasis on the word giving and how much you give or that you need to give more and you need to and you need more, because the church is always requesting for more. But really, the heart of Christian giving is the heart of, the, of each individual precious soul. So the heart of Christian giving is really a believing heart that clings to the cross of Jesus Christ and, and rejoices in everything he has done when it comes to winning for us the forgiveness of sins and the hope of everlasting life. But faith always lives. And a living faith always lives by loving. And when it comes to loving our Lord, which is at the heart of Christian giving, 
It is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and along with it, loving your neighbor as yourself. These are the words that this expert in the law shared with Jesus, but he didn't share them in the light of Christian giving. He actually was sharing them as an answer to a question Jesus had, who that very question, that very question was actually asked in response to the expert's question, which was simply, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now Jesus is preaching and teaching and this expert of the law is coming as we are told to test him. Now we would think that he's testing him because he wants to know more. But oftentimes these experts in the law, these wise and learned men, these were men along with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were testing Jesus in order to discredit him before the people. Now, was that this intention of this man? We do not know, but I cannot rule it out. This teacher of the law would have been a, a person that if you had a religious question, you went to him. But now he has a religious question and says to Jesus, calling him a teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's the wrong question. His religion is all wrong. For Christianity and, and, and God's religion, and when it comes to salvation, is not founded on what you must do. It's founded on faith in what God has done for you. But notice how Jesus answers. He doesn't correct the man here. But instead, he says, well, what does the law say? What is written in the word? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. It makes absolutely no sense, does it? Well, why didn't Jesus take the opportunity? Believe in me. Believe that I have fulfilled the Old Testament word. Believe that I am the Messiah, the Savior. So why would he answer this way? Because it is true. If you kept the law of God perfectly in every way, without sin, in perfect thought, word, and deed, you wouldn't be a sinner. You wouldn't need a Savior. Heaven is your home. In fact, you wouldn't be here. You would already be in heaven. So what must I do to be saved? When Jesus told him, what does the word say? What does the law say? Is getting the man to see the law and how it is used. It's used as a mirror to show us our sins and ultimately a need for a Savior. But the man didn't get that. He didn't see that. So instead, he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to look good in front of the man, probably look smart in front of all the people that were there, especially his disciples. So he comes back with a question. And who is my neighbor? Jesus replies with one of his most favorite teaching tools, the parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And a parable always opens up the door to see into the minds and thoughts of God and always to correct people in their sinful thinking. And so Jesus uses this parable, and we know it as the parable of the Good Samaritan, 
It is interesting that Jesus really doesn't answer the question, and who is my neighbor, but instead answers this question, to whom can I be a neighbor? So there was a man coming from Jerusalem, we would believe a Jewish man, since he's coming from Jerusalem. And he's taking the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And what I understand from archaeology and history, that was a dangerous road. It was very mountainous, and it was easy for robbers and thieves to hide behind the mountains and the hills and, and be able to pounce on people from above. You usually never walked alone on this road. You, you always were in some type of a caravan and in a group. Strength in numbers, if you will. But for some reason in this parable, as Jesus describes it, this man is walking alone. And sure enough, he comes across robbers who not only just take from him, but they actually beat him. And notice what they actually take from him. They take literally the clothes off his back. They strip him naked. He's got nothing left to even begin to carry and walk away. And then they beat him, and they beat him so severely that scripture says here, they left him half dead. Not kind of, sort of dead, they left him half dead. If this man is half dead, then that means without medical attention, he will surely die. And that's the situation. When a priest is coming from Jerusalem, walking on the same road, he sees the man, but instead of approaching the man and checking him out, he instead walks by on the other side. He walks as far away from him while still staying on the road to avoid any contact with the man. This was a priest. Surely he would help him. This man is left half dead. Surely the priests would have compassion and love. Certainly the priests would come. He's a religious leader. He's the one who walks into the temple when it is his turn and offers prayers to God. He's the one that oversees the sacrifices that are made to God. He is to be an intercessor between the people and God. He would certainly care for a fellow human being or at least for another Jew walks by on the other side. Now comes a Levite. Maybe not as high rank as a priest, but certainly he would come. He's, his whole tribe, the Levite tribe, is, is one that didn't receive land when land was allotted when they entered into the Can land of Canaan and conquered it. Their job as that whole tribe was to actually oversee the care of the temple. He was the one that would assist the priests in their work. Certainly he would come and take care of it. He's got to be a very religious person. But he too walks by on the other side. It has nothing to do with the man. By the way, there has been volumes written about these two men. Volumes written about what were these men actually thinking. Oh, I've listened to suggestions that, well, maybe they didn't go to this man because uh, they were in a hurry. They had other important things they had to do, and, and they just couldn't take the time. Maybe figuring the next guy will take care of them. 
Again, the man is half dead. Or, or, or maybe they, maybe they didn't go up to him because they thought that maybe he was a fellow robber and he was faking it. And if they would have went up to him, he could have jumped them and, and jumped him and take advantage of the two of them. And and uh, and so it was just smarter to walk by on the other side. Yeah, maybe it was that. By the way, these two men are not real. Remember, this is a parable. This is a story. To try to figure out what they're thinking is, is really silliness. But I'll tell you who is real in this entire episode. It is the teacher in the law. That teacher of the law, by the way, you can safely say, would have been thinking that in answer to the question, who is my neighbor, it has to be certainly a fellow countryman. But here's a dying Jew. And they're walking by on the other side. Well, or at least maybe a neighbor should be like maybe a family member or, or a friend or a co-worker, um, someone you live next to because they're nice to you and you get along well with them. Certainly, you they got to be your neighbors. By the way, that is not how God thinks. God doesn't say that our neighbors are simply those that will be able to pay us back and love us back, and therefore... They deserve to be lovable. No. See, a neighbor, according to God's word, is every person you come in contact, even if it's for a split second, that person has become your neighbor. And it's certainly a neighbor is one who is in need, and yes, half dead, and without help is going to certainly die. And your neighbor is certainly among those kind of people or among all people would certainly include even your enemy. Here comes the Samaritan. The Samaritan is an enemy. The Jews did not like the Samaritans and the Samaritans could not stand the Jews. The Jews, in fact, came to the point where they would call them names and they would call them by the name dog. And not the pet dog that you have in your house. No, that word in the original language is the word for the street dog, the mutt. The dog that deserves to die. The dog that deserves not to live. The dog you would definitely stay away from. The dog you would hate. In fact, they couldn't stand that territory that they would deliberately in order to go up to Galilee instead of take the straight shot through Samaria they would walk around the Jordan and around the area even taking extra days not to step foot in Samaria because to do so would be evil in and of itself and now this good Samaritan who's supposed to be hating Jews and Jews hating him took pity on a man. It didn't matter what his nationality was. He was a man in need. He came to the man and, and he felt sorry for him. But it wasn't like he was simply having pity. He had compassion, brotherly love. He came and bound up his wounds, even pouring ointment, which was the standard oil and wine standard medicine for a wound. 
He didn't stop there. Remember, the man is stripped naked. He put him on his donkey and, and took him to an inn. And the inns were oftentimes used like hospital states. He took care of the man there and even the next day said to the innkeeper to continue to take care of him, gave him two denarii, which is worth two days' wages, a pretty good sum of money, with the promise that he would take care of all his medical expense, if there were any more. And which of the three was a neighbor to the man? Obviously the Good Samaritan. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. What beautiful words is coming from the mouth of our Savior. The very Savior, we would say, is not simply a good Samaritan himself. He's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. The very Son of God who took on human flesh and, and went to the cross in order to pay for our sins with his perfect life and once again won for us eternal salvation. Remember who Jesus was dying for. He wasn't just dying for righteous people and good people and people who have earned eternal life and deserve eternal life. He gave his life for all people. He paid for the sins of all. He paid for the sins of sinners. And sinners are by nature because we've inherited a sinful nature. Each and every one of us deserves the punishment of death and even death in hell. We are by nature blind. We are by nature ignorant. And by the way, the Bible even says we are by nature as sinful human beings, God's enemy. Jesus died for his enemies when he died and paid the price of the sins of the entire world for all times. Therefore, it is because of our Savior's love for us and the sacrifice he made for us that we are empowered and that we are motivated to certainly come before our Lord with a repentant heart. Lord, please have mercy on me, a sinner. And yet the very Lord granting us a believing heart, the trust in that forgiveness that is ours because of Jesus alone. We are not saved by what we do. We are saved by what Jesus has done for us. That is Christianity. And because of that motivation, and because of it being empowered by his great love for us, we love our Lord, and that love is seen in the way we love one another. Yes, even our enemies. We pray each and every day that Lord grant us a heart to be a good Samaritan, to love one another, especially when that neighbor is in need and needs help. Dear friends, this is really Christian giving. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemevlutheran.org. May God bless you today and every day.